Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Nap DC podcast. So we've been on hiatus for a month or two, and we're back in full swing with Hannah Allen from BuzzFeed, which is going to be, we are just super honored, basically, and we were so stoked to interview her. So we hope you guys enjoy this episode. But before we get into the whole spiel, uh, we have a couple of uh, announcements for the next coming month. So first and foremost, we have our one of our most popular events, the book club that's going to be at Middle East Books and More on March 7th at 7 p.m. And ladies and gentlemen, it is the 15th book club claps, golf claps, all the claps. It's just going to be so much fun. And I've been told to plug the hashtag, it's going to be lit richer. Lena, that she made me do it. So, you know, it's going to be a good hashtag. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. I hope you guys enjoy that event. Um, I went last month and I had a really great time. I thought it was a lot of fun. So we hope you guys can check that out. And so far, that is all we have planned for March. But as always, stay tuned for, you know, upcoming announcements that we have on our Twitter page. We have a Twitter page, um, our Facebook page, our Instagram, all that good stuff. So, you know, any events pop up, you will be informed. And we hope you guys enjoy this episode and take care and have a happy March. All right. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the NAP podcast. Uh, this is Amr speaking. I'm here with Laura and our special guest today, Hannah Anlen. Uh, Hannah is a journalist and reporter for BuzzFeed News, who's based in Washington, D.C. She was previously uh, working in the Middle East. She was Middle East Bureau Chief for McClatchy News uh, in both Baghdad and Cairo. Uh, she grew up in Saudi Arabia and the UAE uh, before returning to the U.S. for her high school and college. Anna, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's great to be on a, on a, on a show where they pronounce your name right. <laughs> I know, that's the first thing. It would have been a butchered, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I basically wanted to know as far as, so you're a journalist, just so everyone knows. You. Yes. Is there any particular moment in your like childhood or anything that made you want to become a journalist or know like any sort of would you like I saw Wolf Blitzer on TV that's what I wanted to do like is there any <laughs> moment like that I definitely saw Wolf Blitzer on TV as a, <laughs> as a child of the Gulf War when oh, I was yeah, in living in the see. Gulf at that, that time so we definitely saw him but no I mean I wanted to write from a very young age I wasn't sure you know how that would be I think in my head it was going to be novels and creative writing right. but uh, I don't know it just sort of um, somehow hardened into journalism and that's what I wanted to pursue and and uh, I do have strong memories of frustrations with press freedom, mm -hmm. uh, the lack of <laughs> press right. freedom growing up in the Middle East. I remember, you know, my dad would pick up, you know, a newspaper in whatever country we were living in and kind of scoff and say, oh, look, kids, the king's opened another hospital. Like, you know, <laughs> and uh, having like a sense from a really young age that something was wrong right. with that kind of coverage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that sparked my curiosity. And so, you know, growing up, um, so I had three brothers um, and a sister much later, but the time three brothers. And so... You know, they needed a fourth person to play army oh. and so I said I would only be that fourth person if they would play news with me <laughs> so my parents still have these old cassettes where you know um, I have very my very reluctant brothers or you know I'm reading the weather or something and then I say and back to Muhammad in the studio for sports, you know? <laughs> like, and so, like, so I always just, just always wanted to be a journalist. Yeah. 
And how has, I mean, you talked about sort of your experience with what your dad said, you be reading headlines too. Um, how has your identity as an Arab American played a role in your career? I mean, just was it more so the desire to see things covered a certain way? Was it purely a journalism interest? And it would also be great to hear about what it was like living in the region as someone who you know was sure. an Arab American. Right. It's uh, you know when I started out in the states, it actually. I, I mean, I guess it gave me a sense of, you know, I see how my community is covered, uh, communities as an Arab, as a Muslim, as, you know, whatever, but, mm-hmm. you know, how my identities or elements of, of it are, are covered. And so, yes, that leads to frustrations and a, oh, I wish I could see a story like this, or I mm-hmm. wish I, you know. And so that definitely shaped how I would approach stories, especially stories about other marginalized groups when I covered race and demographics or, you know, um, just to make sure that I'm getting like a nice variety of voices, even if it's a story about city council or, you know, just basically that idea of inclusivity and the idea that you have to share the mic when you have it. Um, That was, that's definitely, I would say, shaped by, you know, experiences of of my family as um, Arab Americans and as Muslims. Um, But it didn't really become a thing, I guess, until (laughs) 9-11. And I always joke that... um, that, you know, I was coasting along in obscurity, and then that happened, and it was like, you know, we have to explain this, and, you know, who are Arabs, who are Muslims, what is going on? And then, you know, I feel like they looked around the newsroom and were like, oh, my God, we have one. Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, and then you go on this path, and you really have to decide, like, is that what I want to do, or do I want to, like, cover arts and culture in London right. or be a, yeah. learn Spanish and be the Mexico correspondent because right. it is hard once you go down that path to get out of being pigeonholed and yeah. just writing about Arab and Muslim affairs. Right. Um, that being said, I think it's a conscious decision. And I used to be a very big proponent of we shouldn't have these race beats and minority beats and that that should be everyone's job to do that. Yeah. Everyone yes. across the newsroom should include different voices in their reports. Yeah. It shouldn't be this like segregated thing. Mm-hmm. But it just, that never happens. The truth is people don't get out of their comfort zones. Or when they do, they have like disastrous results <laughs> of, of, of bad, really bad coverage. And so I do see that there's a role for us to tell our own stories and with the hope that others will join in yes. eventually. But for sure, um, I think that there's, a, a, I mean, we need this. We need a, these stories told by people who, you know, grew up in these cultures, who are familiar with this, who know the nuances, and mm-hmm. aren't painting with a really broad brush. And how did your, I mean, so you were in the U.S. at this time during 9-11, it sounds like, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And He's a young, it, young reporter out in Minnesota, okay. St. Paul, Minnesota. Wow. Um, so how did your sort of sense of identity factor into this? I mean, because you ended up in Baghdad and yeah. Cairo, and you were, I mean, I heard you speak at Arab American Institute before, you talked about your experience with Yazidis and, and oh, yeah. everything that they experienced. So you were very much in the thick of things. How did that play into, you know, being, being under the impression that you're, people are counting on you to be an Arab in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and then you actually go to oh, yeah. Baghdad. Cairo. And they're like, you're not Arab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go home, come again. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it reminds me of stories from my African-American friends where they're so excited to go to Egypt and have this motherland experience. And they get there and they're like, oh, racism. Like, you know, it's it's this big expectation and you go there and you realize it's also very humbling. Like, oh, I don't know 
you know so much about these cultures. I mean, I'll tell you a very embarrassing anecdote. When I first arrived in Iraq, you know, I grew up in predominantly Sunni Muslim Arab nations, right? Sadima, like you know, Saudi Arabia and, and UAE, and so. Um, so I'm cruising around Baghdad with my translator, Ban, um, and I start saying, like, wow, Ban, there's so many more Christians here than I thought. And she's like, what makes you say that? And I was like, well, look, like, everywhere we go, there's pictures of Jesus, portraits of Jesus. She's like, uh, that's Imam Ali. <laughs> I mean, that's how green, that's how green I was. And so, yes, I have all these hopes of, like, you know, yeah. a community saying, go and represent us well, you know? And it's like, well, I'll represent you to the best that I can, but I'm also a green reporter who's going to have to find her footing. And so, I mean, all praise and uh, credit to my dear Iraqi friends who sort of took me by the hand and showed me, you know, really incredible aspects of their country. And I do think that identity played a part in that, where they could tell that I'm almost there, or I'm, 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 I'm so eager to learn. I come in with some knowledge, but obviously... I'm not Iraqi, right. and because you're Arab, you can't just like land into any Arab country and say, I'm here, so, you know, I'm here to tell your stories. Right. I mean, that's, it's not the way it works, and it's not the way it should work, you know, and it goes against everything I've ever like thought about, like trying to say, it's a mosaic, guys, it's not one big homogenous blob. So, um, so yeah, I mean, did it get really uh, depressing every time you get in a taxi and you tell the taxi driver directions, and they're like, um... Like, you know, it's like, yes, it's embarrassing. It's like, yes, I'm not sure. But then you have to go into the whole thing. Yes, yeah. Oklahoma, da 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 da. Then I went to Saudi Arabia. Then I went, you know. <laughs> and it's like, I just want to get to the supermarket. <laughs> so, yeah, there was times like that. But overall, I felt it was a great icebreaker, even knowing you know, little cultural customs or whatever. It was a barrier of trust, I think. There, there, you get over this barrier to trust much easier when you're trying to interview people, especially about really sensitive subjects like, you know, trauma, forced displacement, occupation, you know, um, death uh, on, a, on a daily basis. So, yeah, to go, to know, to go in and the little cues to say and the cultural things, that's enormously helpful, but you still have to, you know, you can't take anything for granted. You have to go into every story in every country with a big open mind and ask a lot of questions. You touch a bit of, or a lot on female issues as well. So I saw your article recently about female genital mutilation mm-hmm. survivors. And I was just curious, as Arab women, it's hard to talk about just sex in general. So do you think it's hard to talk about like sexual harassment and in light of the Me Too movement? Do you think it's been helpful? How do we address those issues? Yeah, I, well, I mean, I just, I think it's really hard. And I think that there are a lot of people in um, Arab and Muslim communities who are ready to have these conversations. And one big impediment to it is anti-Muslim, anti-Arab sentiment. And so it's really frustrating to see, you know, these voices that are so ready to hash all this out, to solve it, to provide new leadership on some of these issues, be silenced because, you know, Others say, it's not the time, we don't need to air our dirty laundry here, it's not, you know. I run into that on pretty much every sensitive story that I work on, um, including that one. And so, so yeah, that is, that's a frustration, but I mean, more power to them. They're still out there working, and as long as there are people out there trying to do those things, I'd love to cover them. Absolutely. And on your Twitter bio, I saw that it says that you, your quote, 
you cover Muslim life for BuzzFeed. That's mm-hmm. what it says. So can you explain, like, what does that entail? Like, yeah. what is Muslim life? Is right. It, like, basically showing how, or showcasing how diverse the Muslim community is? It's like, listening to D- DJ Khaled. So, <laughs> like, no. It's, so it's, uh, when they when they first advertised the job, it's interesting, they advertised the Islamophobia beat. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when we were talking about being hired, et cetera, um, I think it was after I was hired, I said, can we talk about the job title? Mm-hmm. I said, it's, I find it very narrow, you know, to look at 3.3 million plus people through the prism of Islamophobia, which I've already, like, I even have problems with the word, you know? (laughs) So, um, so can we broaden it? Because there's so many other things going on in these communities. Um, And to call it U.S. Muslim Life, and to their credit, BuzzFeed was like, sure. (laughs) And so so that gave me then license to not just write about, like, hate crime of the week or, you know, whatever, the first hijabi to do this or, you know, whatever. It's like those stories are, are, you know, great and they have a space for them and whatever. But there's so much more. Um, And so that's, I really, it is as broad as it sounds. Like, a Muslim doing something interesting or newsworthy, I'm there. (laughs) Like, it's so, and I try to really not, I mean, some of my criticisms of coverage of Muslims have been, you know, too mosque-focused, number one, um, when we know that the vast majority, actually, of Muslims don't go to a mosque regularly. That, uh, you know, definitely representations of Muslims, like only hijabi women can, or, you know, only men who pray five times a day, or, you know, there's many, many different experiences of of being Muslim, and so I just like to explore those. I've actually had my eyes really open to the variety of practices, interpretations. I mean, it's really fascinating. Like, it's this petri dish here of, like, all these different strains of um, Islam, and, you know, it's just really interesting to see, like, what this next generation is going to be. Um, I know that some people have a beat that's, like, Arab and Muslim and lumped together and everything. I mean, I don't. Mine is specifically Muslim, but I think that there's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of intersection and a lot of, you know, things that non-Muslim Arab Americans are dealing with. Often are they're dealing with them because of residual anti-Muslim <laughs> stuff, and um, and so you know a lot of those go hand in, in hand in hand. Yeah, I think you're. That's a really great point that you bring up because you know that's something I think about a lot. Is you know I was raised Muslim, but I'm not religious at all. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, I feel like people need to see that, but then that's not how I define myself. So, but maybe should I push myself to define myself that way so that others can see that. You know, being Muslim doesn't mean you're wearing hijab or praying five times a day or that sort of thing. So I wonder how have you sort of balanced between those two things? Yeah, I mean, I just try to uh, include in every story that I can, like a variety of Muslim voices. And certainly there are some voices that some Muslims wouldn't even consider Muslim. I mean, you know, there's that whole thing. But it's like if somebody self-identifies that's how I go with it. I'm not here, I'm not the census, and well, let's start on the census. I mean, but, that's another episode, right? Uh, definitely not the census, the census isn't the census on that. So so it's, um, you know, I'm not here to, to judge anyone. I'm just here to cover the vast, like this kaleidoscope of practice, of visuals, of representations, of, 
you know, ideas about what it means to be Muslim, either identifiably Muslim, culturally Muslim, practicing Muslim, like all of those to me are just fodder for stories, how those groups interact, how people feel in these other groups. I mean, all of that to me is um, fodder for really great stories about what it means to be Muslim in America today. What's one of the more interesting stories you've done with that charge in mind recently? Um, so my dear colleague uh, Talal Ansari and I did something on um, how you know if this if all this rhetoric from the Trump administration was meant to sort of intimidate Muslims out of public space. Um, it's actually backfired because we've have this like you know crop of new Muslims running for office, uh, Muslim candidates running for office, and um, so we started looking. You know, we very deliberately wanted to highlight candidates from around the country. So um, there's. Uh, you know, a there's Liliana Bakhtiari running for mayor, who's um, uh, self-identifies as queer Muslim woman. Um, there's uh, Abdullah Said in um, Michigan running for governor, who fits a more traditional sort of orthodox idea of Muslim. You know, there's. Uh, but is on this very progressive ticket, you know, right. is running this very pro- sort of progressive campaign. So that's interesting. So, um, you know, there was a, a woman, a convert in um, in Minnesota, uh, her name, Regina, uh, Regina Mustafa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she is, uh, I think she's a, a white woman who is actually also legally blind and has was had amazing stories and about crisscrossing her state you know and have had to have someone driving her but she would still do that to get out to all corners of where she was campaigning to meet people and to challenge their assumptions on what a Muslim is. Mm-hmm. And so all those were really fascinating. And so that was one story where we actually got to highlight many different ways. And we also had Fayrouz Saad in that mm-hmm. story too, who's, you know, um, uh, an up and coming um, Democrat. Wow. Yeah. That's great. I think just one last question would be, you know, as someone who has, you know, experienced different angles of your own identity um, and, you know, given where your career started and now that you're back in the United States after being in the region for a long time, what would your advice be to someone who is struggling with their own identity or how to be a part of their community? You know, someone who's Muslim, someone who's Arab American, um, maybe they want to get engaged but they don't really know how. What would you tell them? Well, I would tell them you're you're living in a great time to explore all that stuff because you have social media, you have, you know, we didn't have that. So it was like, oh my God, Paula Abdul, like that's what we had. <laughs> like that's, you know, uh, it was, you know, now, now there's, you know, whole communities springing up that tell you it's okay to, <laughs> to be, you know, to have questions, to have multiple identities, to explore those identities. And so I would say, look for, look for those people and, um, you know, find support in those communities and also sometimes challenge your own communities that, you know, I don't know, it's, I can't prescribe anything to anybody, but I just think that it is a, a really great time of, um, if, if 
we're looking very hard for a silver lining, <laughs> and it's pretty elusive. <laughs> but one thing I have noticed is that it has rejuvenated, you know, everything that's going on politically in this country has really rejuvenated um, introspection and, like, looking inward and what are we doing and who are our leaders and what what does it mean to be this and that? And that's across the board in, in marginalized communities, and I think this is no different. So I think it's a really cool time to explore all that stuff, and good luck on your search. <laughs> I'm inspired. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm very inspired. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Really excited. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Thank you all so much for listening. Please feel free to subscribe and to follow us on our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page.